Before we start the podcast this morning, myself and everyone at Wahoo would like to send our deepest condolences to the family of Nicholas Portal. On March 3rd, Nico passed away at his home in Andorra, leaving behind his wife and two children. At the age of 40, Nico left this world far too soon. Nico was a director of mine for five years while I was at Team Sky and a very influential person in my career. Always smiling, always positive. Nico, you won't be forgotten. Thank you, brother. today's episode, folks, we are going to be covering a recent trip I took to Nice, France. We're going to be hearing from Michal Kwiatkowski and his tips on riding gravel. We're going to be talking about the coronavirus and the impact that that has had on world tour racing. We're going to be covering the recent Mid-South gravel race. We're going to be listening to a full-length interview of Peter Stetna that was conducted in mid-February out in his hometown of Boulder, Colorado. We'll be finishing off with a little teaser with McKinsey Houseman, an employee at Wahoo and part of the Desk to DK200. At the end of February, I jumped on an airplane and flew back to my former home of Nice, France. I spent seven years in Nice as a professional road cyclist, so it was nice to go back on different terms. I brought my bike with me. I did plenty of riding, far more riding than I'd probably anticipated and far more riding than I have been doing recently. And while I was in Nice, I was able to reconnect with a lot of my former world tour riders. One rider in particular that I really connected with while I was back in Nice was Michal Kwiatkowski. I'm sure many of you are familiar with Michal. He is a former world champion and a two-time winner of Strada Bianchi. I was out for a ride with Michal and I got sucked into doing a few more hours than I had planned and maybe that I was capable of. But Michal was kind enough to invite me over to his house for lunch. So we finished up our ride, actually went home, took a shower, went over to Mihao's house, and his wife, Agatha, cooked us a beautiful lunch. We had some risotto, we had some grilled mackerel, Cuiato busted out his rocket espresso machine at the end and made me a fabulous cappuccino, latte art and all. He is a very tech-savvy guy. He was showing me all around his house. If any of you know me well, I am pretty pretty slow when it comes to catching up with the world of technology and Mihao is on the other end of the spectrum than I am. He has everything linked together in his house with Bluetooth. He's talking to his watch and lights are turning on and he's talking to Siri and this and that. And it's, uh, it's all a little bit over my head, but it was really cool to see someone who's so passionate about technology and he's got so much to say about it and so much information for me to learn. He actually helped me uh, reformat my computer a few years back at, at Algarve. But now we're going to listen to a little conversation I had with Michal. We're up on Col de Vance, a climb just west of Nice. Um, my One of my favorite climbs in Nice. Maybe not as famous as the Madone, but definitely smoother pavement and a beautiful ride. So here's a little chat I had with Michal talking about GPX files, and he was the first person to show me the use of a GPX file and how it can be used to benefit your racing. And he's also going to be giving you some gravel tips as a former winner of the Strada Bianchi. All right, I'm on Col de Vance with world champ, former world champ, Michael Kwiatkowski. Kwiato, you were the first person to tell me I needed to use a GPX file racing. Yeah. Do you still use GPX and how important is it? It's pretty important if you think about it that sometimes the race books, they don't say anything. So, I mean, that's quite crucial in terms of you know, knowing what's coming 
So now I've got the feeling we are have 2020, right? I had the feeling a couple of years ago there was still a chance of actually make a surprise attack that you actually you were ahead of of someone who didn't know that the corner is coming tricky descent or crosswind section. And now all the bunch actually, all the guys in the bunch, they have those GPX files. They see everything on the map. And it's difficult to, to do that. And at the same time, it's good, but I don't have any advantage anymore on some guys. That's right, everyone's doing it. Well, one of the mini races I was with you when we won was Strada Bianchi 2017. Yeah. Uh, the whole team there, we helped you, but to be honest, you kind of won by yourself. <laughs> the last 100K, you were solo. I'm new. Uh, not for that long, but if you look at Strada right now, already from Montalcino, which is, yeah, 100K to go, the race is actually exploding in pieces and you've got, and you've seen that more and more in all of the classics, more of the races they, you know, like Gilbert won Tour of Flanders, for example. It's far, far away from the finish that decisive attacks are, are made. So, I mean, Strada is such intense race. And if you find your own rhythm and you have no one on your wheel, you can go far, you know? That's true. Um, we did some recon before Strada in 2017. So you gotta see me ride gravel. What advice do you have knowing my lack of skills and your expertise of riding on unpaved roads? Tips. I mean, Gravel roads, they have nothing to do with the gravel on the tarmac, which is, you know, some people are scared when they, when they hear gravel because, you know, they've got experience when they saw some sand on the road and this is super slippery and dangerous. But riding on the gravel, like in Strada Bianca, when you have full gravel road, you know, you. You don't have amazing grip, but it's not something that will surprise you. It's like comparing, you know, riding on the ice, which you basically, you don't have much control, and riding on the, on the like kind of, you know, five, 10 centimeters snow. Yeah. When you're small, slippery, but you can control. And then it's great fun when you've got that feeling of, you know, actually your front wing, is losing the grip, <laughs> you know, your back wheel is losing the grip, but you, you've got control over this, and it's not like your bike gonna just ride away from you. You, you can still, you know, do, you know, amazing things. So, I mean, I mean, you can, you can still ride fast through the corners. I need to understand that maybe a bit of, practice would uh, make you change your mind. But of course, there's so much now equipment, you know, tires, tubeless, 
clinches, you know, bikes, brakes made for riding the gravel that you should try it. Good tips, Mihao. I'll start doing some practice once we uh, summit this climb. Thanks, man. Thank you. Cheers. Once I landed in Nice, I jumped on my phone quickly just to see what was happening in the world. And the coronavirus popped up in my Instagram and Twitter feed pretty regularly. My host in Nice, Larry Warbass, was actually racing in UAE at the time. And he was under quarantine at a hotel in Abu Dhabi. He was stuck there for two days. He was able to get his normal flight back to Europe once he was confirmed negative and not a carrier of the virus. But the coronavirus is throwing the world, the world tour racing for a spin. Um, you know, Strada Bianchi has been canceled. Terreno Adriatico has been canceled. Milan San Remo. And these are big races. I mean, these are races that riders prepare for all year. You know, I know that Philippe Gilbert was looking to, to try to take the Milan San Remo win to kind of complete his palmares of winning all the monuments. And that's not going to happen this year. And we're still waiting to see eagerly what's going to happen with the rest of the season. I know I spoke with Garen Thomas and he was considering, you know, taking a small break, thinking that, you know, he might not be racing until until the Dauphiné or the Tour de France. And we just don't know at this moment. But I know there are a lot of riders on both sides of the fence between, you know, should we race or should we not race? And I kind of see both sides of it. I mean, I see the fact that, well, let me take that back. I see the health consequences of people traveling and cycling is such an exposed environment and it's such a traveling circus that ability for cycling to be a carrier of spreading the virus is immense. You know, you have riders throwing bottles and, you know, staying in different hotels. And there's so much contact with so many people that I do see the issue with races going on. But I guess I understand riders' perspective of not being able to race. And, you know, riders put in so much time and effort to prepare for a season. For races to be pulled away and, you know, canceled days prior to the event is something pretty devastating for a rider. And, you know, my perspective on bike riding has changed, but I definitely understand riders' viewpoint of thinking, you know, why why are these races being canceled? But there's a much bigger picture here, and it's a reminder to everyone that we live in a global community and we have to be aware of everyone, both racing and not. The Mid-South, formerly known as Land Run 100, a 100-mile gravel race in Stillwater, Oklahoma. My first big event of the 2020 season, and it didn't happen. Let me take that back. It did happen. It didn't happen for me. On Wednesday, before flying out, I made the call that I wasn't going to be going out to Mid-South, given the concern around corona and just my situation personally. I am not sick with the virus, but it just did not make sense to, to fly out there and to risk the health of myself and my community and I guess of the larger community here in the States since making that decision. I feel like I made the right choice. Uh, it wasn't easy to you know cancel a flight and to not go. You know, I had <laughs> the day prior learned how to set up my tires tubeless. Uh, I'd even texted Colin Strickland getting tire recommendations. So I'd set up my bike, it was all ready to roll, packed my suitcase. Mentally, I was already in Stillwater, but this decision was kind of, I don't want to say it was above me because it was my choice, but it just didn't make sense to fly out. And I, my season is postponed. I don't know what's going to happen next, but the race still did happen. Pete Stetnam was out in the lead for a while. The final results showed differently. 
Payson won for the second year in a row, followed by Colin Strickland, Jonathan Baker, and Pete Stetna in fourth. I've been going back and forth with Pete this morning via some text messaging, and it sounded like a really dirty race. I've looked at some images online, and it looked like a complete mud bath, and not not mud like I would have here in Vermont, or even mud that I'd experienced mountain biking out in Oregon. It is this thick, red, clay, peanut butter mud. Peanut butter mud is the word everyone's been using for this type of mud. Uh, Pete said this is like nothing he'd ever experienced before. I saw a photo with Pete, you know, standing in a puddle of mud, hunched over his bike, pulling his chain out of the derailleur. I saw him washing his bike in a river crossing. I saw him tweet something saying that, you know, he'd never been so happy to see a river crossing. Pretty much did a full a full bike dunk to try to get some of the mud off off his drivetrain and clear out the, the spacing in his bike. <laughs> yeah, it was an event that I was bummed to not be at, but I'm going to be happy I don't have to wash my bike after such a dirty weekend. But... The season has all been kind of put on delay, still waiting to see what comes up next. I spent my weekend with my younger brother, Austin. He decided to make a trip up from Nashville because his school has been canceled down there. He's a teacher. So we spent a weekend out in my backyard, taking some trees down and boiling some sap. A far cry from racing the roads of Stillwater. But to be honest, it felt nice to just to kind of reset a bit because I put a lot of effort and kind of preparation into, you know, preparing for this event both you know physically mechanically mentally you know i had the i had the gpx file loaded on my on my roam for a couple of weeks now but in the end it just wasn't meant to be uh what's going to come up next i don't know but that is all subject to change um and things are changing rapidly so with that i will leave you with a conversation i had with peter stetna who did attend and please enjoy my talk with pete Well, I'm here in Boulder, Colorado with Pete Stetna. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, man. Yeah, we're in the, the Wahooligan team house. We're in Pearl the dungeon. <laughs> the dungeon. The dungeon of the team house. Yeah. Yeah, they put the Pro Tour riders in the dungeon on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, do you remember the first time we met? We were training in NorCal together, right? That was it. That, that was, was it. The first time, I guess we maybe had raced together in California the year prior, but yeah, that was the first time. You were the young punk. I was the vet. Yeah. Not kind of vet. 2012 it was like november december time you were live strong you were staying in santa rosa were you at the pink palace i was at the pink palace oh, jeremy God. vennell's place that, it was actually cool it was a great location yeah great location pretty sure there's raccoons living in the walls but yeah well i live in vermont now we have raccoons <laughs> in our barn so that, that was a good preparation um, yeah man and we we did a good winter training good weather and i remember there was that one final day where we just sent it all the way through napa and you just kept going towards chico and i turned back and yeah, we did some good rides. We did. Yeah, we did a, uh, there was like a Thanksgiving ride up to some climb. Yeah, the Pine Flat Thanksgiving ride. Pine Flat ride. Thanksgiving ride. Yeah, that yeah. was fun. And I remember you distinctly telling me, because I was just entering, well, kind of come full circle here. I was the young rider entering the world tour. Now I'm not uh -huh. so young anymore, but right. definitely have more experience than I do. Mm. But I remember you distinctly telling me like, dude, the world tour is savage. Like people don't, there's no respect anymore on descents and whatnot. Yeah. Which I quickly learned. Yeah. Now, what's your advice now that we're entering gravel? Ugh. What do I need to like? What's the no respect on descent? What's how's that defined in gravel now? Don't sit on and be a dick. Like don't sit on gen gentleman race. You know, just uh, you know, we're all gonna race. It's still it's it's a competition, but at the same time, like, I mean, you you, you love bike racing. You want to hammer, but at the same time, like, don't start skipping poles and the backstabbing road race tactics that you and I couldn't stand in in the road. Yeah, exactly. It's uh. 
I mean, road racing is definitely a beast of its own. Gravel yep. racing is very much in a transitional phase of what it's going to become and how that's raced. I mean, you did, you won Belgian Waffle last year and you were third in DK? Second. Second in DK yep. behind Colin. Wow. Yep. Um, once you had won. No one remembers second place, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing with gravel racing. I've been like, you know, following along from a distance and you see like all the content that comes out. Oh, it's crazy. Very seldom do you actually see results. You know, there's no pro cycling stats for gravel racing. Like Not you yet. see, maybe you see who won and yeah. that's pretty much it. Yeah. You don't see like 15th place. It's a lifestyle. Totally. It's, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the people are interested in the winner at the moment. Um, and then the rest of it, they're just interested in the journey, which is pretty refreshing. Yeah. And that's something that I think being in the world where you see, you see the stories that develop, but you don't really share it or they're not really shared that well within the world tour. And that's something you see in gravel is like those stories of personalities are, you know, very accessible to people. And that's what people, you know, people connect with individuals rather than connecting with teams or specific races and events. And I think that's something that the world tour is needs to struggle with and find how to highlight because, you know, I mean, you live this life as long as I did. And it's just like the stories that you and I can connect on and share about in that world tour Peloton is so extreme and it's so special you wish there was a way to tell someone else about that and share that because like i mean i know you've had these conversations with your teammates at dinner tables like man if we could just show people what it's like being in that game time sprint finisher whatever and how intense it is there's i mean there's there's nothing else like it but at the same time it's scary it's exciting all of it but it's really unrelatable to the general population whereas the gravel thing is it's very much a lifestyle and it's a shared experience which is it's a lot more gratifying right now to me well do you feel like a degree of your filter has been lifted since entering gravel i mean personally i feel like yeah. when you're a world tour pro you're pretty clean cut you say what you need to say you know you you kind of go through this motion you have a persona that needs to yeah. be projected and i feel like since i've you know stepped away from road racing it's like cool i can share like random pictures of me doing different things when I'm yes. not riding and people I'm not going to get judged for that have you kind of noticed that as well a hundred percent yeah the world tour I mean you always kind of had to think about what your team manager was going to think about this post and you know I had I mean my team manager thought I was an alcoholic because yeah, I mean, I, you're the IPA guy I know <laughs> yeah. I, and that's like that's great in the American style of road and craft beer and it goes together but in Europe they viewed it as unprofessional and you know I for example I had a custom beer come out with my face on it for this charity that I work with for my Grand Fondo. And I was like, hell yeah, I'm proud. Like, my face is on a beer. Of course, like, if I'm at the supermarket and I see it, like, I'm going to take a picture of it and say, like, look, like, you know, Pete's Secret Stash is here in in the market. Like, come get it. And my team literally thought every time I took a picture of a beer, I was drinking it and partying. It was so unprofessional in their mind. And then, like, I showed up at the end of the season and I did top 10 in Milano Torino, which is like this badass climb. Like was that Mount- last year? Two years ago. Two years ago. 2017. Okay. So first year of my Fondo. And like, that was a big result. And the team was like, whoa, like, I thought you'd just been partying for a month and drinking beer. And I was just like, guys, just because I take a picture on the social media doesn't mean I'm actually opening it every time. Like, yeah. And like, so yeah, I mean, I love craft beer and that's part of who I am. And I had to kind of shield that away and focus on like showing off like the pro life or in whatever that means and now now i can just be me and unabashedly be me because i'm my own boss and 
my sponsors have all signed on for, you know, who I am as a person and the gravel rider. Yeah, bigger than just the athlete. You're Pete Stetton, a person, a human, you know, a husband. There's yeah. much more to Pete than just a guy who can ride his bike fast. Well, so to, looking to what some believe, yeah. Yeah, well, you're definitely uh, you're definitely gunning for it. Well, so kind of looking back at the end of your road career, you know, mm-hmm. I've been asked a few times, like, what would be the biggest, your biggest career highlight? But then also what... Is there anything you felt like you've left any stone unturned in road racing? Yes, both. Yeah, you know, I definitely have some some things I still wanted to do and accomplish in the sport of World Tour Road. But at the same time, this new gravel thing was more exciting to me and I wanted to do more there. So, for example, in Europe, you know, early on being an integral part of Ryder's Giro victory, you know, being his mountain domestique, like when it came down to crunch timing, that was a valuable lesson, right? Doing all three grand tours was huge and just, and some really nice like podiums and some big races along the way. My big regret is I never actually won a big race in Europe. I never crossed the line for, I won some stuff as under 23 on some mountains. I won some team time trials, a bunch of team GCs I helped. So are we not counting? Cause I have... I also never won a race as a pro, but we did win a team time trial on the Vuelta. Does that not count? I personally count it because I was a big part. I was taking my polls and stuff. I did a suicide poll with 1K to go. Like, But at the same time, like, there's like the whole pro cycling stats. They're like, it's that doesn't counted. count. That's not yeah. an individual win. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, wait, this is a team sport. But you now only care about individual wins. And the one thing that I kind of lament is I very early, I was always kind of stuck in this in-between of the GC leader, and like the mountain domestique. And so I never actually really became a breakaway hunter and really got to go for that big stage win. It was either focus on the GC, whether that's a top five, a top 10 or whatever, or help your team leader in like the big mountains of the Grand Tours. And that became my niche, which is a great niche. It was a a great career and job. But at the same time, like I was never quite good enough, obviously, to go up against Froomey and Nairo or whatever on like when the the Peloton smashed it on the climb for the final. And I never really was let off leash to and really learn to like hunt for the breakaways. So I never actually got a win a race in Europe, which was a little sad. But at the same time, I mean, I rather than like grinding it out for years, chasing breakaways in Europe for that one thing that honestly, like isn't going to really change my world tour career at this moment, I'm not going to get paid more because I win a stage from a breakaway, even if I did win a stage in the tour, right? Versus this gravel thing, which is just so fun and new. And there's so much more to accomplish here. Exactly. Yeah. When that's one thing personally, I've like kind of thought about a lot since walking away from road racing is like, if you do win that very quickly ends like, well, what are you going to do next? You know, what are you gonna do in the stage tomorrow? Like there's no end to, you know, Garen Thomas from like they've won grand tours, but it's like, all right, well, what's next now? Like, what? Very quickly. Yeah. Now what? It never ends. And I guess that can be the same in gravel. You know, the season's totally right around the corner again. And you know, you won Belgian waffle last year and I'm sure it's like, well, this peak, if you don't win this year, like, is that a disappointment Seriously? or because of the culture of gravel, is it still, if you go out there and have a fun day and like personally satisfy, you know, your craving and, you know, enjoy the, you know, the atmosphere around the event. Yeah. It's, it's maybe more of a success than, winning the tour and then finishing second if you, you know, win an event and come back next year and don't perform to the same level, but personally are satisfied. I think so. Less disappointment. I mean, I'm naturally a competitive guy. And so, I mean, these are, these are races in my mind. And it, but at the same time, like how you find comfort and contentment in that is you prepare and train the best you can and you're going to show up and it's gravel, man. Things are going to go wrong. You're going to freaking break something, have 
you know, a sidewall cut or whatever can happen. You never know. And I mean, I know there's going to be races that I win, hopefully, and there's going to be races where I'm walking in hours after. And the important thing is to just know that like, this is the experience and this is what you came here for. And to make sure you crack that beer with everyone, regardless of winning or losing. And, you know, you have a good time. So, yeah, that's, uh, and it's interesting, especially in a race like Kansas, that's 10 hours. Like, you know, you can be so much lottery, you can be 10 dude. minutes behind, but you can still win. Oh yeah. You know, I was at an event in California last November and I flatted pretty early with, mm-hmm. it was actually me and Ned Overland off the front and I flatted. And like, for me, that was like game over. Like I had to fix it and I couldn't, you know, I'm, I'm very new to this, like especially tubeless and seal. Oh yeah, and man. I, like, couldn't get the core valve out. I was like practicing using Dyna plugs before yeah. Kansas. Well, I didn't stuff. even know like, what a Dyna plug is. I know, just you know? shoving like, them in the tire. Even yeah. I didn't have a flat. <laughs> yeah, you know, so I was, I'd flatted, and eventually I got it fixed. And maybe it took me like I don't know five or six minutes because it was a slow leak, and I didn't have a CO two. And eventually someone tossed me one. But mentally, I was like, all right, game over. Like I'm just gonna cruise, and I actually rode with Amity Rockwell the rest of the day. Nice. But then at the end, I was kind of thinking like, well, I was only five minutes behind. And there was like a big climb. There was like a you know, oh, man. 1500 meter climb or 1500 yeah. foot climb. Like you could close that potentially, but mentally I was like, all right, well I'm like, Oh, I'm at an event. I'm here for fun. Like I'm just going to enjoy it. Yeah. But in hindsight, you know, kind of changing that mentality going towards Kanza and Belgian waffle and, you know, mid South, like you can make up that gap because oh, yeah. so much can happen. You know, someone gets a flat, someone has a mechanical, someone you never cramps. know. Yeah, and no that's quitting. like that's kind of what happened at Kansas. Is like you know, Colin Strickland and I were like, whoever we didn't even know real time gaps, but it was somewhere between three and four minutes for like the last three hours of the race, right? Just catch a glimpse of him on the hill, on the hill, and it was like, man, I'm not gaining on him, I'm not losing on him, and it's like I just got to keep the pressure on because you never know what happens. And like one Flintstone wrong, and he stopped there, and all of a sudden I'm back in it. So it really was just this unknown keep plodding along yeah well now i'm gonna i want to ask you about arrow bars at kansas and i know you <laughs> used them last year you had more you had more artillery waiting to be used as far as arrow equipment <laughs> um ruining all the gravel <laughs> yeah well you know i i'm undecided at the moment yeah um, i spoke with ted a couple of weeks ago and he was very anti-arrow bars my perspective is i hated time trial bikes in general like yes. i would have preferred we did world tour time trials on road bikes yes i would have preferred that but, you know, you have said that, you know, there is a comfort aspect and also their comfort bars, which I started to think about. I'm like, that's actually, you know, your position's not as aggressive yeah. on a gravel bike as it would be on a road bike. Yes. But like your hands have to be pretty beat up after 10 hours like, you know, to be able to rest on your elbows. That's what I help. learned listening to like real gravelers, like some podcasts and stuff is they call it comfort bars, not arrow bars. And, you know, there is the arrow advantage, but I think it just comes down to, you know, you do you. And I don't like how everyone's trying to police it and spe- they say that they're the stewards and they're speaking for what's right. Because, I mean, Dirty Kansas, they don't say you can't use aero bars. They're all for it. And same with Bobby at Mid-South. He's like, you want them, you, you run them. And it's about us being good stewards about it. So, like, yeah, I had the aero bars on my bike because, A, they're comfort bars. Like, you're out there for 10 plus hours. It's nice to change up the position, off-weight those wrists a little bit. Um, you are more upright, so it's not that TT position that you and I hate. When like you still have a hydration pack on your back. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, there's, I mean, 10 hours, like, there's a moment when you're going to be alone out there, and it's really nice to hunker down. But at the same time, like, I never rode them in the early state. For the first three or four hours, I didn't touch them, like, in the group, in the big pack. And if I saw a guy with them, do it, like, riding the arrow bars, 
I would totally admonish him. I think it's a little bit about, you know, policing everybody. Not that I have the authority, but it's about kind of looking out for each other and be like, hey, dude, that's not the point. Like, that's not cool. Yeah, we're still in a group here. Like, that's not Yeah, safe. that's dangerous. But, you know, at the same time, like, okay, once there was like, you know, that group of five of us, you know, it was the EF boys, Ted, myself, Payson, like, yeah, when I got to the front, like, I would kind of hunker down into that position and up the speed for us all. And I was safe about it. I'm all for them. And unless they say, I'm not going to let, you know, some guy who thinks they're uncool, because that's not the point of gravel, too. Like, there's not this clicky thing. Like, what ha- what people hate about road racing is, like, you have to fit in. If you show up with the wrong helmet or the weird socks or whatever, there's, like, this whole style guide to it. And people, like, for entry-level age groupers, road can feel so elitist and exclusive. Like, oh, I'm not doing it right. And gravel, it's like... Dude, you want to ride in a basketball jersey? Hell yeah. You want to use arrow bars? Hell yeah. Like, you do you, I'm going to do me, and we're going to enjoy this together. Yeah, that's actually an interesting point because I'm not sure what your event's like out in um, Carson City. In Carson City. What's the date of that? September 19th. Okay, well, I may be able to come out for it. Dude, we'll see. Better. Well, Wahoo's going to be a part of it. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, I organize an event in Vermont, and yep. it's What's not a race. That one? Uh, September 26th, week before, Ooh. week after. There we go. Um, coast to coast. Um, but it's, it was really interesting to me to see the wide range of bikes. You know, we had, there were people on, you know, super fancy bikes or people on, you know, mountain bikes, road bikes. It was a huge range. Yeah. So no one's criticizing the people who have maybe inadequate equipment. But you see in cans of people criticizing people who have, you know, kind of high tech equipment, which in elite road racing, like the rules, like everyone's within like a one or two percent margin as far as you, their equipment you run what you brung that's what the Kansas motto is yeah you know? and you bring your own snacks <laughs> yeah when I, was, I actually spoke to my friend marshall opal who you may know uh-huh. um so he's been in the gravel kind of world for a year now but right. in a very different capacity than maybe you are and, and i am i'm much more enjoying it and riding it yeah and i asked him about aero bars and he's like dude it's there's no rules you do what you want you do you. and that was surprising to hear from from him yeah. and that's true it's like you know, if you want to use them, you can. If you don't, you know. And at Dirty Kanza, there was the Twitter trolls blew it up, but there was nothing but love on the scene in in Kansas. Well, so I mean, thinking about Kanza, I mean, is that your target? I mean, there's obviously a bunch of big events, but if you could win one event in, oh, well, man. you may win all of them, but if you could win one no, event in 2020, <laughs> what would your what would your uh, dream win be? Oh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, Kanza. A, it's it's currently the Super Bowl and the Granddaddy of Gravel. It's got the most attention, but, you know, you and I are, like, flyweight climbers. It doesn't necessarily suit our strengths at all. Like, yeah, like a powerhouse, like, you know, Colin, Payson, Colin, you yeah. know, Ted, like, they're They just definitely crank rollers, along. They yeah. got watts on watts. You know, you and I, okay, yeah, we're more nimble over the, the sharp stones and stuff. You haven't seen me on technical stuff yet. I'm not sure how nimble I am. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, well, you got some time to practice. But, uh, you know, it's, you know, you and I are more built for, like, Tusher and the Crusher. I mean, that's 11,000 feet of vert and high altitude dirt climbing in Utah or Crusher and the Tusher. Sorry. You know, and that's the cool thing about gravel is there's so many events and they're all so different and they're all so unique. And there's gravel roads are different in every state. The lifestyle and the festival around is different. So I'm just looking forward to like showing up with a damn good fitness base and trying to win one. Kansas would be great to win. It would be great to repeat at BWR. I mean, that's a big dog for me. It's, you know, that's, that was for me, Belgian waffle was what, instigated this new career decision you know that's where that was when the light bulb went off and that was where the this fire was first stoked for me so i think that's you know still my deep down my favorite and i've noticed you know personally like it's been a big change going from road racing where everything's taken care of to now being Mm -hmm. 
you know, kind of an, not to say an independent, we were independent contractors when we raced on the road, but now kind of we're our own managers. We're our own travel agents. We're our own. We're privateers, you know, man. Exactly. One man team. Have, do you, is there anything you miss from road where it's like your, your job is just to ride your bike and you have, you know, oh, all dude. day to just like ride and sit back and hang out. Now it's like emails and messages yeah, and there's like, there's a lot more going on. The hustle is real, huh? It's a lot more work, but I think you'll, you could probably agree. It's a lot more gratifying. Like you have a personal connection with these sponsors. You're talking to them directly. It's people that you care about. It's not, you know, it's the, the world tour life. It is so secular and simple. I mean, it's hard, right? Don't get me wrong. And I have the most respect for guys who want to sit on the mountain and eat salads and all of it, you know, and that is, that's a hard life. And that's the ultimate pursuit of speed and bodily perfection. But for me, this is more of a, a well-rounded person, right? You've got a lot more going on. You, there's a lot more things. And you, like I said before, you can just, you can be you, you know, and that's, that's a lot more fun, but it is, it's very different. I mean, you're booking your own hotels. You're flying with a suitcase full of extra bike parts instead of breakage. There's no rain bags. There's no, no, there's not. <laughs> and are you a pretty good mechanic? Cause that's one thing I'm Oh no, dude! I'm totally <laughs> like I've I've my whole life I've prescribed to like the the chain loop protocol of if it's making sound, dump more something wet on it till it shuts up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're taking to a shop if I'm, it doesn't stop. Yep, I'm really trying to learn. But I got a really good buddy. His name is Big Tall Wayne. He's a mechanic friend in Tahoe, and he's gonna come to some events with me just to to help me out and like run the pit zone at Kanza, for example, and. You know, okay, so yeah, Pro Tour Pete's going to have his mechanic at the race, but it's more going to be, I just want to hang out with my drinking buddy. Well, it's also, you need, <laughs> I mean, from what I've heard of Kansas, especially, you need yeah. someone to... Oh, it's a mandatory pit yeah. crew. There's yeah, like a, a whole... Crew, yeah. Yeah. It was, Kansas is a whole NASCAR nother event. Pit changes. It's just yeah. like, it's it's a completely different logistical event compared to anything else on the calendar. Yeah. So... Well, and Kansas is, the course is unmarked. Correct. Yep. So, you know, you're new to the Wahoo Frontiers campaign. Yep. You're new to the Element Rome. Yep. What what page are you going to be on for that event? What are you going to be looking at? So I be- just started using the, the Element like about probably almost two months ago now. I'm impressed, man. Like, so I, the navigation is good. Like the, the syncing battery life, that's the most important for Kansas, right? Is you, I mean, you need that battery life. So, I mean, I'm charging the thing like once every three or four days training. Like, so, I mean, it's easily going to last 15 hours. You're not training enough. (laughs) (laughs) True. For Kansas, not yet. But, uh, I honestly, I toggle it. There's so you're scrolling through pages. You have, you know, your navigation page, but you have other pages you're checking out. So I have the navigation page and I have like on that, I'll have like probably the distance and also like the point to the next turn, you know, the, the next cue. And that is really important because you can't just kind of focus and hone in on like the long grindy roads and just know like, all right, like in 3K, that's going to be in like, you know, six minutes or whatever, like then I'm going to have to think about turning. And then you also have the notification set up. So if you're on the other page, you're looking at speed, power, heart rate, time, whatever, temperature, it'll pop up and be like, Hey, turn coming up, turn coming up. And I have the full sound, everything. So it like snaps you out of it. Another trick you should do is turn off the backlight, turn off the Bluetooth or the Wi-Fi or whatever, just everything to extend that battery life. Yeah. I mean, I think the battery should be okay for, well, definitely. You never know what's going to happen though. Well, that's true. It could be. You could be out there for 20 hours. Yeah. That's one thing I didn't realize is we start at six in the morning Yep, and you know what? 10 hours you're finishing at four. The fastest guys. 10 hours. I mean, there's people coming in at midnight oh yeah 
Which yeah, is or more. There's, I think the cutoff is 24 hours. There's like the breakfast club. You have to finish by 6 a.m. to get like your official spot. But you didn't start with lights. I mean, you didn't anticipate. You have to start with lights. Oh, you do? That's a rule. You have oh, to start with so lights. So that is a rule. You okay, have to have so lights on your bike. There are some rules. Okay. Um, yeah, you have to finish on the same frame you started. Everything else can be swapped out, but you can only get that mechanic help at the pit zones. So, okay, yeah, maybe at like the second pit zone or with your pit crew, then you can have another roam just in case something's going bad and you've been walking for hours or whatever like you can have spare parts at those pit zones and restock and get aid there but that's it wow walking for hours sounds crazy um that's i might not finish i'm not that extreme (laughs) (laughs) that's one thing that is like slowly kind of creeped into my my riding and training and i haven't done many gravel races yet but like the fact that sometimes slowing down is okay like when i was racing on the road my training ride was like that was work like if i'm gonna do a four-hour ride like I may be gone for four hours and 10 minutes. You know, maybe yeah. you hit a couple stoplights, maybe you stop to, for a nature break. But now these rides of three hours are extending into like the four hour mark. You know, we did coffee stops and whatnot sometimes. Yeah. But it's like, hey, let's stop. We're going to, you know, we're doing hike a bike for a bit or we're, you know, taking more pictures. Have yeah. you noticed that or has your training stayed very kind of specific to workouts rather than, um, you know, choosing to take a, you know, Well, I've always a been break. a big believer in the coffee stop. I plan routes around the coffee stop and the refuel. But I mean, that said, like, yeah, it was 15 minutes, slam an espresso, have a cookie and get back out there. I mean, my total stoppage time was still half hour max on a five hour day. Now I'm still training with intervals because that's how I know to get the most out of me and how I know to get fit. Like I'm still riding my road bike probably 80% of the time, honestly. Like I know my climbs, I know the water just because at the end of the day like it's still a fitness test you're riding 200 miles or whatever 100 miles but yeah it's just the the adventure of it and realizing like oh you know what i'm gonna hop off on this single track and see where that goes and maybe i'll kind of jam it if i'm feeling good for a little bit but like to adventure is kind of your job too now yeah you're more inclined to, to like roam and like get take that, that path you've never oh totally. you ride past the road 100 unfortunately, times unfortunately in norcal it's like a lot of it's uh private property and you just kind of realize i'm trying to do my job the best i can so i gotta like get some gravel in but that's going to require a little bit of poach and you just kind of realize like there's levels of poach there's like gray area it's pretty okay and there's like that dude's got a shotgun and if you're on his <laughs> land like he ain't happy so yeah. you, you it's definitely like i know there's going to be some some tense moments coming up <laughs> yeah well thanks for coming on pete thanks and, man i appreciate um, it no i'm looking forward to to continuing our civil but yet competitive relationship and i'm sure i'll be following you around a fair bit this year at the races I'll be following you too, man. We'll, we'll give me some time. Give me some time. Um, and there's a, you know, it's going to be, we're like, we're frenemy category now. So it's going to be, you know, we're, we're part of the Wahooligan crew together. And and I think it's going to be, you know, we're still racing our bikes and it's, we're going to have fun racing against each other. But at the same time, like, you know, if, uh, I, you know, if, if all of a sudden you have like a little bit of a flat or something like, I don't know, maybe a CO2 is going to fall out of my pocket. Not that I'm going to stop. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. stop for you, but yeah. you know, like we're going to support each other, but yeah. we're also going to race and we're going to have fun together. Yeah. Well, that's the biggest thing that I've learned and that this experience has already brought to me is like how much fun and enjoyment I have riding my bike. You know, yeah. I took a long break last kind of spring after my crash and I didn't ride a bike and I was questioning what, what am I going to do? And the one thing that I realized I was like, I need to ride a bike for my happiness and like just for my sanity. And that's yeah. one thing kind of realizing that I would rather ride the, my bike for the rest of my life than race my bike at the tour level for the next five years and then end that career and be like cynical towards my bike or not, you know, resent the bike. Like mm-hmm. I want to ride my bike forever. And I think you've kind of found that path as well. Yeah. You know, we got, um, 
and one thing that we should just talk about over a beer too is just like that recovery from that TBI, man. Because I know that world, like my dad has a traumatic brain injury and it's hard. Like, I mean, I saw you talking about like some hyperbaric chamber stuff and like my dad went through all that. And uh, yeah, like you can definitely, you know, we, we can speak to the importance of like helmets and protecting that brain and how that, that recovery is never linear like a broken bone. No, um, and it's, yeah, it's the invisible injury. You know, people yeah. are like, I look fine. You know, and now I've made... A lot of recovery, you know, I'm mostly not, I still haven't like ridden in large pelotons. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know my spatial awareness oh, wow. in a group, That's hard, which is yeah. a bit scary, you know, and I, I'm more aware of like crashing out and for whatever reason, I seem to always. There's a little hold back. Totally. We actually, I completely forgot. You had a terrible crash in what, 2016? 2015. Yeah. Yeah. And you, I mean, did you. I mean, there was a time when you probably thought, okay, my career is over. Like, I'm never... Oh, the, yeah. Most... My, my team at the time, I think, had written me off. A lot of people thought I was done. The doctor said, depending on the recovery, we're going to chop your leg off or you'll walk again. They didn't really talk about riding. So I've had a... I've had a... On, on my, you know, quote unquote, a miracle recovery. But my dad has a traumatic brain injury, like I said. So actually, you know, if, if you can make it out to the pay dirt, it supports the High Fives Foundation, which is... I was basically kind of what instigated this whole move to gravel and searching for the broader community in cycling is like, I wanted to create an event that kind of gave back to that community because my dad's injury ripped our family up. I mean, it's his recovery, unfortunately, hasn't gone as well as we had hoped. And it's one of those TPIs that doesn't have the happy ending, you know? And um, so it was so hard on our family. It was like, okay, I didn't want to like try to help others because this fucking sucks. And so I found... I created this event in Tahoe, which is now in Nevada, and uh, it supports the High Fives Foundation, which is basically High Fives Foundation supports injured athletes. So it's when the insurance stops and your bills are paid, they help you get your life back on track. They, um, let's say, you know, a guy who broke his back skiing, he's now in a wheelchair. They get him a, a, you know, a sit ski. They teach him how to ski with his kids again so he can still enjoy life and get back into the pursuit that he loves because you realize you've actually had the unfortunate hit but we've everyone who rides a bike or does any mountain sport like you can put yourself you know like man one inch too far to the the left and that would have been a different story and it's so easy to see that happening and it's like these guys actually the high fives athletes are our tribe that have had that unfortunate hit and like to see how like they're still shredding and pushing it that's what my event supports so that's actually didn't realize that so i we should definitely get connected for that. It would be awesome to have you guys meet them. They have this big print campaign that they go to schools, the, the hashtag helmets are cool. So they're just teaching, you know, little shredders about, you know, the importance of concussion awareness and helmet safety and all that. And they, they do a bunch of good for the community. Yeah. That's one thing. I never ride my bike without a helmet now. I mean, in, and in the world too, I used to like roll to sign on without a helmet. Now it's like, actually, I do so want to stupid. introduce you because Roy Tuscany, the founder is a Vermont boy. He was okay. a hardcore, uh, big mountain skier who, uh, who had an unfortunate hit. So uh, he's got Vermont roots, and now they're up in Truckee, Tahoe area. So Well, we'll definitely get connected. And, um, yeah, I mean, our, my fondo in Vermont last year supported the Love Your Brain Foundation, which is, awesome. you know, came from, kind of founded off Kevin Pierce's crash. And I think he's with the High Fives guys a little bit. He could be, yeah. I think uh, I think you're right. But, you know, their kind of recovery method is, like, around community, but also, like, yoga and meditation, which for me was extremely beneficial. Yeah. Because it definitely is an injury where you can feel very isolated and there's not really a huge support network out there. And even just the information of like, what do I need to do and who's here to help me? And it was, you know, still is to a degree and, you know, was at the time harder on my wife sometimes than me because I wasn't myself. Yeah. Yeah. And you have that same experience with, you know, how your dad's injury affected 
affected your family and yep. you know there's not the support there that you know would be if you had you know cancer or yeah you know broken bone or something yeah um so it's definitely something we should jam about again yeah definitely cool that thanks fun. Pete. thanks well i hope you enjoyed my conversation with pete and as i mentioned i am looking forward to catching up with pete later in the year i'm actually considering heading out to his event in september out in carson city nevada which is actually the week prior to my wife and i's event here in peachum the peachum fall fondo presented by wahoo it's September 26th, and registration is going quick. So if you do want to see foliage of Vermont, then check us out, peachandfallfondo.com. We are also on Bike Reg. I think there's only 50 or 60 spots left. Um, it's a small ride. It's not a race. It's very fun. There's maple syrup, cider donuts. There's cider pressing. We got apples, and we got an old-fashioned cider press at one of the rest stops that you can press some apples and fill up your bottle with some fresh pressed apples. So check us out if you're in the area or if you just want to check out some New England foliage. My next event is going to be Vomar, which is Vermont Overland Maple Adventure Ride. That's an event here in Vermont in, well, I guess it's coming up right around the corner. It's um, March 22nd. Um, that's an event put on by Vermont Overland, the same people that do the Vermont Overland Race, which is a big event up here in New England come August. So I'll be there, 25 miles. Don't know what bike I'm going to be on. Could be a Fat Boy, could be a Diverge. Really depends on the conditions. But nonetheless, it'll be good preparation for Raspatitsa, which is one of the biggest spring events here in Vermont. Funny story about Raspatitsa. I was at a post-tour dinner in 2018. When I was at Katusha, we were down to four riders on the team. There was myself, a German, Niels Polet, and two Russians, Ilner Zakharin and Pavel Kachikov. And we were at dinner and my wife was there. And for some reason, she had mentioned Raspatitsa, uh, maybe that they had reached out to try and collaborate with our events. And the Russians, both on the other side of the table, looked across and kind of perked up and were like, what? Raspatitsa? And I thought maybe they'd heard of the event or they'd considered coming to it or something. But turns out that Raspatitsa is actually a Russian word for mud season. For those of you who are not from New England, mud season is the fifth season we have here in Vermont. And it's filthy. You know, winter is beautiful and clean snow and everything looks nice, but mud season is filthy. I was up at a local grocery store last year during Raspatitsa. I wasn't riding. I was still recovering from my crash. I was up there picking up some groceries and a couple of riders walked in in their kit and they were just a mess. But I'm looking forward to it. I mean, conditions can be anything from snowing and freezing to warm and sunny to most likely Raspatitsa and mud season. So I'm going to be doing Raspatitsa instead of Sea Otter because that race and event has been canceled. Um, so in a way, lucky that I get to drive 30 minutes rather than fly across the country. So I'm looking forward to that. And following Raspatitsa, I'll be out at BWR. For those of you who don't know what that is, that is the Belgian Waffle Ride out in San Diego, the original event. They've since added two new events later in the year. So I'll be out there, and that is going to be my first big test following Mid-South. Um, both the other events in Vermont are big, but they're also local events. So I'll um, you know make sure to enjoy it and make sure to make sure to help my fellow Vermonters out when I can. But yeah, following BWR, then it's kind of into the, the heart of the season with we got DKs just a couple of weeks after BWR, and then I have Oregon Trail, and then I'll actually be heading over back to the Tour de France. So thank you all for listening to another episode of Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo. We're coming to the end of the show, but there is one more segment I'm going to leave you with. This is a chat I had with Mackenzie Hausman. There's going to be a full-length episode forthcoming. So I hope you enjoy, and please don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment and review. I love hearing from you. Y'all stay safe out there. I've had my heart broken in 
talking with some folks at Wahoo about that and they were like well you know we've actually been thinking about this other thing and you know we kind of wanted to to take somebody from there was a complete novice and put them in either DK 200 or DK 100 and would you want to do that and I was like okay sure yeah (laughs) that's pretty brave of you because it's uh I mean if there's one event on the calendar that I'm scared of it's it's DK I mean it's it's definitely an event that everyone talks about, but it's cool to hear that, you know, you heard about well, this. Well, don't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs>